morning on this fourth Sunday in the season of Advent, and uh, thank you to those of you who tore yourself away from the World Cup match between uh, Argentina and France. Um, I want to thank our uh, our parish associate, Andrea Messenger, who um, preached in my place last Sunday because I was sick on short notice. And if you don't know Andrea, uh, she was a senior pastor for several years, and now she splits her time between um, our network of churches that we're a part of doing church support and uh, part-time here at Glenkirk doing pastoral care. And so we're very fortunate to have her on our team. And uh, with all those years and wisdom as a pastor, she can just pull a sermon out of, uh, out of her archive. And, uh, but my biggest disappointment about missing last Sunday was not that I didn't get to preach um, the message I delivered, but it was because last Sunday was my fourth anniversary as Glenkirk's pastor, and I really wanted to worship with all of you. So... But I was pretty sick, and I didn't want to share that gift with you, uh, <laughs> so I'm grateful for uh, Andrea. Now, today on this fourth Sunday in the season of Advent, we light the candle of love, and uh, my thanks to the Connor family for sharing their story with us um, as they lit the love candle on the Advent wreath. Um, each week in Advent, we focus on a theme. The first week was hope, then the second week was peace, and then last week was joy, and then today is love. Um, love, love is a less obvious theme for Advent and Christmas than the other three are. Um, the, the previous three messages were all named after lines from Christmas carols, like week one, a thrill of hope, week two, peace on earth, last week, joy to the world. But it was harder to find a Christmas carol with the theme of love as the primary theme. Uh, the only one I could find was a hymn from 1885 called Love Came Down at Christmas. And yet, this season really is about love. After all, God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. And the baby who was born on Christmas Day grew to become the man who would teach us that loving God and loving our neighbors are the most important of all of the commandments of God for us to obey. Our Advent series this year has been called Practicing Christmas. We've been looking at some of the spiritual practices that can help us grow into these themes of hope and peace and joy and love. And today we're going to look at some practices that can help us learn to love better. And for these practices, we're going to look at the story of the Magi from Matthew chapter 2, who went on a journey of love to find Jesus and to worship him. So I want to invite you, if you're able and willing, would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. 
When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, Herod asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. You can be seated. The Magi went on a journey of love. This journey started when Jesus was born. That's when the star appeared to them. In the region of the east, probably somewhere around what we now call Iraq, these wise men interpreted the star that they saw as an indication that the long-awaited king of Israel was to be born. And so seeing the star at the birth of Jesus, they determined to go on a journey of love, a pilgrimage of devotion to worship this newly born king. Now, if they followed the Roman trade route from Iraq to Jerusalem, their journey would have been about 900 miles We don't know the names of these mysterious men from the East, or really how many there were. We do know that they weren't Jewish. And some traditions identify them as Zoroastrian astrologers, adherents of a rare monotheistic religion that arose in ancient Persia. And as they follow the star, their first stop is the city of Jerusalem, And this would make sense since Jerusalem was the capital city of Israel, the place where you'd expect to find the new king. But the king they found in Jerusalem was not the new king, but a false king. King Herod, a conniving, murderous, violent pretender who had been installed by the Roman government to keep the people of Israel in order. The birth of the rightful king would have been a threat to Herod's legitimacy. So he is disturbed. And if Herod is disturbed, he makes sure everyone else is disturbed as well. So all Jerusalem is disturbed at this news. And as Herod consults with the Jewish Bible scholars and theologians to find out from the scriptures where the true king, the Messiah, would be born, they narrow it down to the city of Bethlehem. So Herod sends the Magi to Bethlehem with instructions for them to report back to him what they find. 
When the Magi finally arrive in Bethlehem, Jesus was probably about three years old. Their three-year journey of love that began when they saw the star when Jesus was born has finally come to its conclusion, and they present Jesus with gifts as an act of loving devotion, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, perhaps, representing Christ's royalty as Israel's rightful king. Frankincense, a a kind of incense, perhaps representing his deity, his godhood. And then myrrh was an expensive resin actually used for embalming and burial, perhaps foreshadowing Christ's eventual suffering and death. All three of these gifts were costly. And after presenting their offerings to Jesus, the Magi return home by another route, having been warned in a dream to avoid any contact with Herod. The Magi, whoever they are, complete their journey of love. And in the Magi and their story, we can find some spiritual practices that can help us become people who love people well. As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, a spiritual practice is an intentional practice, is a rhythm that we intentionally establish in our daily or weekly routines. Prayer and fasting, reading the Bible are all spiritual practices. Christian author Dallas Willard used to say that spiritual practices are the things that we can do that are within our power right now that over time enable us to do things that are not within our power right now. Like a musician who practices scales in order to eventually play a piece of music that they can't currently play. Or an athlete who engages in drills or in a particular exercise in order to eventually perform in their sport in a way they can't currently perform. Over time, spiritual practices enable us to live out our Christian faith in ways that are currently outside of our grasp and capacity to live out our faith. And I think that we can see at least three spiritual practices from this story that can help us love well. The first is persistent worship. Persistent worship. You know, I know a lot of people who travel long distances to worship with us here at Glenkirk. I know one family who drives from Moreno Valley and another from North Hollywood, another from downtown LA. I know one family that lives in Arizona and yet I see them um, one or two times a month. Of course, that could have something to do with their grandkids being in this area too. But these magi traveled 900 miles to worship Jesus. That's persistent worship. Gathering with God's people for worship is a spiritual practice. When we gather to worship each week in a consistent way, we're building a practice into our lives. You know, I read this really interesting Barna research study this last week about weekly worship attendance. And according to this study, the the number of people 60 years and older who are worshiping consistently weekly has been steadily declining the last couple of years. See, a lot of people over 60 attend worship services, 
But the number who do so on a weekly basis has been steadily declining. And in contrast, worship attendance between people ages 26 through 41, the generation we call millennials, has been steadily increasing in weekly worship attendance the last couple of years. So even though a larger percentage of those 60 and over worship, fewer and fewer are doing so weekly. And even though a smaller percentage of millennials worship, those who do are doing so more consistently. It's going to be fascinating to see where that all leads in the days ahead. See, when we gather in consistent worship with each other, we're engaging in a spiritual practice, a spiritual rhythm. Just showing up builds a consistent rhythm in our lives. And as we show up, we talk to other people, some people we would never talk to if we weren't worshiping together. As we sing praises to God, that music saturates our imaginations with biblical themes and ideas. We hear God's word read out loud and taught by our pastors and applied to our lives. We, we celebrate the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper and experience God's grace in that. And then each week we're sent back out into our world reminded of who we really are as God's children, as Christ's ambassadors. It's been said that people become what they worship. That when we worship a God of love who loved the world so much that he sent his son into the world, we become like the God we are worshiping. We become more loving by worshiping the God of love. Now, let me say something about live streaming. We started live streaming um, right at the start of the pandemic, and we have no plans to stop. And I was glad I could participate in Glenkirk worship with you live streaming from home when I was homesick. I know lots of people in situations where live streaming is a godsend for them. People who are caring for sick family members, people with transportation limitations, those with compromised immune systems. I had coffee with someone new to Glenkirk um, last week, and she told me she'd live-streamed our services for about a month before she came in person. And I hear that kind of story from new people a lot, that they live-stream first. So I'm grateful for live-streaming. But I do worry that it can easily become an easy excuse to avoid in-person worship, being with each other. The Magi were persistent in their worship. And that persistence in worship is a spiritual practice that will help us become people who love like the God we worship loves. The Magi were also extravagant in their giving. Extravagant in their giving. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They may seem like odd gifts to us. They probably weren't on three-year-old Jesus's um, Christmas list that year. Maybe you've seen the cartoon about the wiser men who showed up after the, the Magi did, and they brought diapers, casseroles, and formula. Those would probably be good gifts for Pastor Kate right about now. 
But as odd as these gifts might seem to us, they were extravagant and costly gifts. In fact, it's very likely that when Joseph, Mary, and Jesus fled to Egypt to to run from King Herod, it's these gifts that finance their ability to escape Israel and to escape the wrath of King Herod. It's quite likely that these gifts and the value of them saved their lives. Extravagant giving helps us love people. When I was a pastor at Lake Avenue Church in Pasadena, I got to know some of the people who are, you know, on the off-ramps at the 210 Freeway and Lake and have the signs, you know, asking for money or asking for help. And uh, I got to know a lot of the people that, that were doing that. And one of the guys I got to know was a guy named Michael. Um, and as I got to know Michael, I found out that um, Michael struggled with a gambling addiction, um, which made it difficult for him to make ends meet whenever he relapsed into his addiction. And so two or three times a week, um, I would walk from my office to this little teriyaki place for lunch. And um, if Michael was around, I would always buy him lunch and um, bring it to him. And then we'd have lunch together sometimes. And so we got to know each other pretty well. Well, one Easter Sunday, um, I didn't have any responsibilities in the worship services at Lake Avenue. Um, so I positioned myself on the Lake Avenue overpass um, of the, the 210 freeway to just greet people as they were parking in the parking structure and then walking across the, the, the bridge to get to the services. And of course, Michael was there as well. And as you can imagine, he did quite well that day on Easter Sunday. Well, after people left the last service and crossed the bridge over to the parking structure, um, Michael walked up to me and he reached into his basket and he pulled out two $5 bills and said it was his tithe from the money he'd been given that day. And I remember thinking, Michael is learning a spiritual practice. Even in the midst of this, the practice of giving. Giving helps us become more loving. If a spiritual practice helps us do what's currently not in our power to do, the practice of consistent giving helps us love in ways that we're currently unable to love. Giving to our our church each week to support its ministry and its mission is a way for us to grow in becoming more loving. And by the way, I was so encouraged by our Shepherd's Pantry toy drive. We more than doubled our goal in providing kids to Shepherd's Pantry. So well done, Glenkirk. It was huge success. Yeah, we can clap for that. You see, we don't just give because of the impact of our giving on others. We also give because of the impact of giving as a spiritual practice has on our own spiritual transformation. Years ago, I was pastoring a church and a lady came up to me um, and told me that she was withholding her giving to that church because she was upset with the decision that the elders had made at that church. And so she was trying to make a statement. Um, But what she didn't realize and what I, I gently tried to explain to her is that by withholding her giving to her local church, she was actually short circuiting her own discipleship. It would be like, I'm not going to pray anymore. I'm not going to read scripture anymore. And I encouraged her to either work through her issue with the elders at that church or or to find a place where she could give because there are certain things that will not happen in our spiritual lives apart from the practice of giving. And one of those things is becoming more loving. 
Giving is a practice that helps us learn to love. Finally, we see in this story, the Magi practice spiritual discernment. Spiritual discernment. Sometimes people who give may seem naive at times. Maybe some of you think I was naive for buying Michael lunch a couple of times a week. I have friends who don't like to give because they're afraid that their giving will, um, to another person will feed a person's bad decisions or make things worse. But love is not naive. The Magi were warned in a dream that Herod could not be trusted. And so they went home by another route, avoiding any contact with Herod. They had spiritual discernment. Discernment is a practice that enables us to distinguish between options when we're faced with a decision. Distinguishing between truth and error, right from wrong, wise from unwise, helpful from unhelpful. I don't know where that came from, but that was dramatic. Discernment enables us to also sift through our own motives, our own personal desires and feelings, to disentangle them from God's desires. Spiritual discernment helps us make good decisions when we're faced with a dilemma, not sure what to do. There's a Christian author named Adele Harrison uh, wrote a book called The Spiritual Disciplines Handbook. And she says that discernment is a spiritual practice because it arises out of a relationship with God based on prayer. The Magi practiced discernment. They discerned when they saw the star that they should embark on a journey, a long journey. And once in Jerusalem, they discerned that they could trust Herod when Herod told them about Bethlehem. But then once they found Jesus in Bethlehem, they discerned that they could no longer trust Herod now that they knew where Jesus was. Now, it's tempting to say, well, if God spoke to me through a star or in a dream, I'd know what to do as well. But I would suggest that without their practice of consistent spiritual discernment, the Magi would not have been attuned to the voice of God to know when they saw the star what to do or to know when they had the dream how to proceed. How can we develop the practice of discernment? Calhoun lists a couple of examples or a couple of ways that I think are helpful. She encourages us to come to God with open hands, willing to go in any direction God wants us to do, even if it's not the direction we want to go in. She encourages us to be aware of our own personal desires and wants, to to get godly counsel, to use our reason, to use our mind, to listen to God speaking to us through his word and a host of other ways. Discernment will help us become people who love others well. Now, I wish we knew what happened to the Magi after they got home, but the Bible's silent about them. There are some much later church traditions that say the Magi were so bold about their faith in Jesus after they arrived home that they were all ultimately martyred for their faith. Now, we don't know if that's legend or if there's a grain of truth in all of that. On this fourth Sunday of Advent, I'm praying that my fifth year at Glenkirk, 
is our best year yet together. And I'm hoping that we will continue to learn how to love well, to love each other, to love God, to love our neighborhood and our community. Because we too are on a journey of love. Love for God, love for each other, and love for our world. And spiritual practices like persistent worship, extravagant giving, and spiritual discernment are practices that can help us over time do the things that we're currently unable to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this story, this journey of love that these magi went on. And Lord, we are on a journey of love for God and love for others. And on this fourth Sunday of Advent, as we light the candle of love, may we engage in practices and become a congregation that's known in this community for its love. Love for each other, love for you, and love for the world. For we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.